This is your Wednesday Daily Delivery. I am Michael Rand. Lots of good stuff to get to today. Sarah McClellan, Star Tribune Wild Beat Writer, will join me here in just a minute. Got to talk through Zach Parisi and Ryan Suter. Didn't have a chance to get to that last week because we had a whole set of special edition episodes. So Sarah's going to help us kind of understand her level of surprise with those buyouts last week and uh, set up the expansion draft, which is tonight. So looking forward to that conversation with Sarah McClellan. Also have a little bit of Aaron Rodgers updating to get to uh, because that's uh, one of my favorite subjects. You know that, guys. So uh, we'll get to that at the end of the show as well. But first, what did I miss? Got to spend the first few minutes here on the Bucks. Bucks do it. A Midwest city in a mid-market has won the NBA title uh, thanks to, in large part, to the number 15 overall pick in the 2013 NBA draft. Just kind of goes to show, um, you know, Giannis Antetokounmpo back then didn't know what he was going to become. Um, Nobody really could have known that, envisioned that. You see pictures of him eight years ago. He looks you know, skinny, smaller, and then he, you know, and then he comes in and scores 50 points in game six of the NBA Finals. Bucks win 105-98. You can't help but be, but feel good for, for Giannis and, and for the Bucks, and even Bucks fans. I mean, I, we've talked about that uh, this a couple days ago. Um, the Bucks are the rare Wisconsin team that I have a hard time mustering any sort of distaste for. I think a lot of Minnesota fans are in the same boat. Not all of you, because I wrote about it the other day, and some of you uh, expressed some pushback. But, you know, it, it's just kind of a cool thing. It's hard to not like the way they play. It's hard to – it's hard. It's almost impossible to root against Giannis because of what he's – you know, the work he's put in to become the player he is. And, again, 50 points, I think 14 rebounds, 5 blocks to win a championship. That shows you everything you need to know about him. Um, so k- kudos to the Bucks. Congrats to Bucks fans. And uh, I'm trying not to spend too much time on revisionist history here, but, uh, just to remember, he was picked number 15 overall in the 2013 draft. The Timberwolves, after trading the number nine pick, had picks 14 and 21 made for them by Utah. Essentially, they made the number nine pick for Utah, swapped that for 14 and 21. They picked Trey Burke for Utah. C.J. McCollum was picked right after that at number 10. Not going to get into that right now. Giannis was picked at number 15 right after Utah picked Shabazz Muhammad for the Wolves. Some revisionist history there. You never could have known what was going to happen, but man, oh man, it's hard not to think about what might have happened if things had turned out differently back then. As it is, they turned out like this. Bucks are champs. We'll see if, uh, if this provides any inspiration for the Timberwolves. Uh, another mid-market Midwest team trying to break through after so many years of not succeeding. I'm Chris Hine, Timberwolves beat writer at the Star Tribune and the first five-time guest in daily delivery history. Thank you for listening to this podcast. This work is made possible by our Star Tribune subscribers. For unlimited access to the articles mentioned in this podcast, our coverage of Minnesota sports from pros to preps, and even all of Rand's future blog posts about how the Timberwolves should trade for players they will never get, go to startribune.com slash subscribe. Happy to be joined on Daily Delivery today by Sarah McClellan. Does a great job covering the wild for the Star Tribune. 
We were doing a series of kind of pre-planned shows last week. Did not necessarily anticipate, Sarah, the big news that came out of wild uh, the wild orbit that you cover. Um, talking, of course, about both Zach Parisi and Ryan Suter getting bought out of their contracts last week. So I thought we could catch up on that uh, quite a bit. Uh, so first off, Sarah, how you doing? I'm doing well. How about you? I'm good. I'm good. You're you're kind of I don't know if you have a leisurely summer, but whatever you had planned last week was probably interrupted a little bit by uh, by the wild comings and goings. You're probably going to get back into it a little bit already because expansion draft and the draft are coming up this week already. We'll talk about both of those things, but maybe right from the jump here, I, I want to I feel like we've talked about Ryan Suter and Zach Parisi in tandem just naturally because. They came in at the same time. They had the identical contracts, you know, the joint press conference. And as it turns out, they're leaving at the same time, too. That said, I want to take each individually as I ask you, let's start with Zach Parisi, kind of on a scale of one to ten. Where what was your surprise level of him getting bought out last week? You know, what? maybe maybe right in the middle around a five. Uh, you know, we talked to, especially earlier in the season or in the year when he started to kind of look like he was getting phased out of the lineup, he'd fallen down to the fourth line, his minutes were dropping. And then, you know, he didn't even start the playoffs. He was a healthy scratch at times, including at the start of that first round series against Vegas. You know, now when you look back, you know, that looked like perhaps the writing on the wall that maybe he didn't have a future with this team. Uh, I always, you know, kind of looked at the contract as what would maybe keep him here, even if he played a role that was different than what he did in the past, you know, the cap charge, which we're now seeing in, in a buyout, it can escalate quickly and, and be kind of cumbersome for future spending uh, for future roster maneuvering. And, you know, I just wasn't sure if that's something that, you know, this management team would take on to cut ties and move on with him. Uh, So I could kind of see, okay, well, it didn't look like maybe he had a spot in this team, you know, in this lineup moving forward, but it is, you know, it is a hefty price tag to, to buy him out. So I'd say my surprise level was, you know, kind of in the middle there, you know, I could see it, but yet that's still a decision that, like you said, has some, you know, repercussions. The follow-up will be felt for many years to come. So definitely more surprised with Brian Suter. That, that, was, definitely, <laughs> yeah. that was not five. <laughs> I want to get to that in a minute. Just a little a couple more thoughts on Parisi. I think my surprise level was maybe a tiny bit lower than that. I thought something was going to happen with him, kind of like you said, the writing on the wall during the season. I thought maybe they, you know, I'm sure they explored every other avenue that's out there in terms of trade and things like that, or trying to figure out a role. And we can kind of get into after we, after I ask you about Suter, we can kind of get into the the why of this, the why now, and the you know the decision that Bill Guerin, you know, in tandem with plenty of other folks, including a sign off from ownership, which is not an easy thing to get, um, you know, why that happened. Now Ryan Suter, however. Um, I think I talked to Patrick Royce a little bit about this a couple of days ago on the show. It's kind of one of those only, it's one of those moves that only makes even a tiny bit of sense after it happens. You're like, okay, that just, it's a clean break. That said, he's a defenseman who is still playing a lot of minutes was one of their top two, three defensemen this season. Didn't have a huge drop off in his game yet. What's the level of surprise that he is also part of this, uh, this buyout that becomes a joint buyout. 
Yeah, definitely closer to an eight. <laughs> I would say eight or a nine. Because of the reasons you mentioned, he still had a key role for this team. He was still on the top pairing next to Jared Spurgeon. He was still playing, you know, the hefty minutes that we're used to seeing him playing and playing in key situations, late in games, power play. You know, he still was very much intertwined in the operation of the wild. Um, so I think that's kind of where the surprise element came in. And especially too now to kind of kick off this revision of this blue line, which this top four has been here for so long. It's been part of its identity. It's just kind of been this foundation. And I think, you know, whenever teams think about the wild the last few years, you know, whatever's happening with the offense or the goaltending, that top four, like that top four is solid. And that top four is, is a very workable foundation. And, and now it's, you know, under construction and that has to be, you know, addressed and there's holes that need to be plugged. So an area that for so long provided so much stability um, is now probably the off season focus, which is just unusual. It's just different. It just hasn't been, hasn't been the case, you know, with a suitor, um, as part of the, you know, the headlining package of this blue line. So that one was more surprising, but you're right. I think when you do kind of start to look at the math and, you know, it is unique because they arrived together and they, they left together, but just the way these contracts were, they were identical, you know, the timing, you know, this is where they're getting the most cap relief is together right now, you know, approximately $10 million, you know, roughly 5 million from each and that 10 million, you know, this summer could really, you know, be valuable as opposed to maybe in a couple years when it shrinks and there really isn't much flexibility. And there's an opportunity then for some more younger players to maybe get involved maybe by then, you know, the Marco Rossi's and the Matt Boldy's of this organization start to take on an increased role. And, you know, we'll see who gets drafted, you know, this year, but, you know, right now with, with contract negotiations and obviously needing to dip into free agency, you can see why 5 million maybe didn't cut it, but maybe 10 million is, is a number that, okay, this is, this is the flexibility the team needs to really start to, you know, make some changes and changes that can sustain it for when there isn't much spending room left, you know, in a couple of years when those cap charges escalate to be as flexible with its roster. Do you get a sense, you know, whether it's from, you know, reporting in the last week or reporting over the course of the last year or two, especially since Bill Guerin came in, is there one, is there one thing that you think that, that led, was the kind of the, the lead item in this decision is it the cap flexibility needing that right now is it worry about you know further decline in in their games and you know not having a as much of a role for them to the point where you know the amount they're paying them wouldn't be close to worth it is it the idea of you know this kind of evolution of the leadership within the organization on the ice and you know the evolution kind of away from this old guard that was you know primarily led by the Parisi suitor, you know, generation more into, you know, the Fiala, Kaprizov, Erickson, Eck, Spurgeon kind of era. Like, is there one, is there one thing that, that you think trumps all others, or is it this, is this kind of a move made with a lot of different pieces in mind, expansion draft included and wanting to 
protect other certain players too, because those guys had the no move clauses. Yeah, I think expansion. Yeah, that's the other point I was going to make. So I, I do feel it's kind of the compilation. It's kind of the perfect storm. And, um, you know, maybe if there was an expansion or if there was, you know, if you, if you take away all these factors, maybe the decision is different. But I think it is kind of the sum of the parts um, that really came to a head here. Um, like we, we kind of talked about the math and the finances of it and the fact that this was the year where, you know, the cap space you know, for a buyout looking down the road in, in these eight years now that there'll be a charge, this was when it was maximized. Um, you know, then you look back to what Parise's role was and how that obviously diminished during the season. And I think too, on the flip side, when opportunity was given, you know, to different players or younger players, they were getting more of a role they accepted that and did well with that. You know, if, if Yul Eriksson didn't shine like he did the last season in an increased role, maybe the while isn't at this crossroads of, of handing more responsibility to younger players. Um, but they have that evidence now, right? Aniko Sturm came up and played, you know, very steady fourth line minutes for this team. And he wasn't a regular last season. So that, you know, I, I think that is like, okay, that's an example of, of what can happen um, when there is kind of a shift in the responsibility but the cap charge, the expansion, if there isn't an expansion draft and they don't have to figure out which players to save and protect from Seattle and who could potentially, you know, leave. And if it's someone like a Matt Dumba who didn't have the no movement clause in his deal, like the other defensemen that obviously needed to be protected, I, you know, what if I, I, I just think it's. It's the compilation of all those factors that make sense that this was the timing because, you know, this wasn't, you know, there was an expansion. If, you know, young players didn't take over this season, if it, if it didn't end on an optimistic note, even in a game seven loss, um, would the circumstances be different? Would it have been kind of that perfect storm to continue this evolution like you alluded to? I think that's, you know, that's also what's very clearly going on now. If there was, <laughs> if there was any confusion, it's been cleared up. You know, this is a team that is, is, in transition. And having said that, I, I still don't think it's changed the expectations, but it's clearly changing. And, you know, this was obviously the most impactful, meaningful change in this process so far. You know, I think there's been plenty of evidence that, you know, Ryan Suter is pretty tight with Craig Leopold, the owner of the wild over the years, um, which is part of what made this even more surprising to me. You know, that said, what do you think this move tells us about Bill Guerin, the general manager, kind of a the a the clout he has already earned, you know, in making this plan and presenting this and executing it, um, you know, and B, just that he would kind of have the the guts, I guess, to to make to be to be bold like this. What what do you think this tells us about him and, and how this sets up the rest of his tenure? Yeah, I don't think he's been shy about, you know, coming in here and making changes that he deems necessary. If you remember back, he that first half of the season, even into the second half of his first season, not much changed. Like right. he really did take his time to evaluate. It wasn't just come in and, and tear everything down. It, it started out kind of slowly. And then obviously the season paused you know, in the aftermath of the Jason Zucker trade, which was the first major subtraction from this, you know, previous core the season paused. 
Um, you know, obviously the team resurrected in the bubble playoffs. Uh, Dean Evanston was, you know, given the security of now becoming the head coach instead of the interim head coach. And ever since then, and, and you know, I think his tenor and his comments after those bubble playoffs last August um, kind of set the stage now for what for what we're seeing. You know, he was very clear that things have to change and, uh, you know, you can't expect different results if you're doing the same thing and it's not working. So I kind of remember back, he, he kind of sounded much like he has ever since then in being bold and being um, just, you know, whole, like no nonsense about it. Like, like, um, you know, not ho-hum, but just, you know, just like, this is the way it's going to be like very clear black and white about what his job is and what he's going to do to try to uh, turn this team into the contender that it previously hasn't been. And so he's stuck to that script. He hasn't, he hasn't right. wavered. And I think this just further illustrates and hammers home that, that point that, you know, he is here to try to improve this team. Um, and you know, he's going to do what he thinks is necessary and it is a new team. Like if you think back to all the players that have left, would you recognize this team three, four years ago? Like it's, it's completely different. And, you know, I think this is probably the way it's going to continue, you know, until you start to see, you know, the type of consistency or success that leads to a Stanley cup, you know, I think change is just inevitable. That's a good point. And that also kind of leads into the next question I had for you, which is, you know, do they, they get a good amount of cap relief this year, right? About $10 million. A lot of that probably gets eaten up by what we assume will be extensions for Kaprizov or Fiala. They already did the Erickson Eck deal, which wasn't terribly cost prohibitive. It was, it seemed like it was relatively friendly for his production, but, you know, as we think about, short-term planning, long-term planning, do they have to take a step back to go forward now? How do they kind of make all of these kind of moving pieces fit together in a one-year, two-year, four-year plan while they you know, have these young players they like, although while their core is changing, but you know, at a certain point, they're going to be carrying you know, a good, you know, what is it going to be? Probably close to 15, 20% of their cap is going to be tied up for a couple of years in, in salaries of guys that aren't here. Yeah, it's, it's going to be a very telling couple of years. You know, I, I think for right now, you look at where the roster stands and, you know, you'll see obviously whoever is uh, removed from expansion, that's obviously needs to be addressed. I, I think right now the focus probably going into the rest of the offseason, especially with free agency at the end of the month is, is to fill the holes. Um, obviously I don't think, you know, you're going to go out and probably be able to sign somebody super long-term because of, like you said, the cap hits that escalate in a couple years. So I think it's just, you know, kind of fill the holes on the roster. You mentioned the two players, Kaprizov and Fiala that need the long-term deals. Um, but I, I think then the next phase of this, this evolution or this plan has to be more integration of younger players. So I think training camp will shed a lot of light on, you know, how ready a Matt Boldy is, a Marco Rossi, 
because it's not just, you know, oh, you hope prospects work out. You hope you develop homegrown talent. Now it's a necessity. Now you're going to need young players because you're going to need those entry level contracts that are cheaper than free aging contracts or veteran contracts to be on the books. It's just, it's just how the math is going to work. But having said that, I mean, that is though, that is the hope that is, that is part of this. And I think Garen has always been clear about that too, is that you don't just sign first line centers. You don't just trade for them. You have to develop and draft. So that puts, I think, an emphasis again on, on this week's entry level draft, um, you know, getting more young players. So they're in a position to be able to help out. Um, but that's the forecasting. That is the plan that I think was probably thought out, of, you know, in terms of executing these buyouts and looking to the future. I do think they can find those short term solutions in free agency. But in another season, you know, or two, it's it's probably got to be a younger roster. And I think that's also probably that next piece of the puzzle of this team, you know, making the growth and taking that next step because if these prospects that have been highly touted and, you know, they have that offensive pizzazz that this team's been missing, that might be, you know, the missing piece to help get the team to that next level. If everything else stays the same, if you continue to have steady seasons from the likes of Fiala and Erickson and Kaprizov, and, you know, the depth in your lineup from the Felinos and the Greenways and the defense continues to be solid. And we'll see what happens with the, with the goaltending. Cam Talbot's still under contract for a couple more years. Um, so, yeah, it's it it is, you, you know, I think the focus right now is probably short term, but that long term view, I think, is still very much on the radar. And, and it has to be because of the finances of the situation. I want to talk expansion draft briefly in a moment here, but I got to ask you about Kaprizov too. Uh, maybe we can go back to our levels of one to 10. If you're a wild fan, is that what's your level of concern about getting, getting something locked up here? I don't feel like he's got a lot of leverage, but until the deal is signed, I feel like nobody is going to say, okay, it's, it's a done, it's not a done deal until it's a done deal. Right. Yeah. But I, I do think this is how it kind of goes. Like not every yeah. negotiation is a couple days. Like Joel yes. Eric was, I mean, if you remember, was it, you know, before Fiala's last contract, he didn't sign like till like the brink of training camp. Um, you know, he, he had to get a deal done. And, and I think it wasn't, might've been announced like the day before players reported, I think he might've been a late arrival. So like this, this happens, I, you know, they, they do get stretched out. And I think also with everything else that's been going on, you can see how the, the calendar gets busy for the wild with the buyouts, figuring out its protection list for expansion draft, obviously preparation for um, the entry level draft, free agency forecasting. Not that it's not a priority because it clearly is, but I, I wouldn't stress too much about the fact if I was a fan that this isn't done yet. He's important. You want that security and, and knowing. Um, but having said that, Fiala isn't signed either. No. So, you know, so it's like, okay, well, maybe this is the way that it goes. Um, you know, those two, you know, those two need the contracts. And, you know, I know it's mid almost, you know, getting closer to the end of July, but, you know, it's still 
still approximately two months before camp. So it's been a kind of a, a unique off season with, you know, the Stanley cup getting awarded later than usual and the extra event of the expansion draft. I, I guess I, you know, as a fan, I wouldn't read too much into, you know, the timing of it all, a lot's going on, but still I, I can understand that there's, you know, an urgency and, you know, a clarity that fans want um, just to know that he's here, he's back in the mix. And, you know, it then obviously gives a little bit more definition to what planning the wild can do moving forward. You mentioned expansion. I like that too. Um, Is there with the expansion draft, Seattle getting to pick its players Wednesday night, the Kraken um, release the Kraken. We'll, uh, we'll see who they pick. Is there an expected outcome as it relates to the wild? Do we have any kind of guesses as to, you know, who they might, uh, who they might lose in this, in this round of expansion? I could definitely see it coming down to obviously Capo Kaknin and Carson Soucy. I think those are the most intriguing players the Wild made available. Kaknin especially coming off just a steady rookie season in net um, to go on that 9-0 winning streak and to just kind of look as calm, cool, and collected as he did in net when, you know, he probably got assignments he wasn't expecting when Ken Talbot wasn't available. I, I think that that could be appealing for a Seattle, especially, you know, with his contract situation, he just has one year left. He's, you know, at under a million dollars for a cap hit. Um, and then, you know, he's an RFA that they could negotiate with. Um, the goaltending, I think to me is probably the most interesting position that you know, Seattle has to deliberate because of who's available because Montreal exposed Carey Price, um, you know, and some other veteran names, you know, I know, obviously, Ben Bishop and Jonathan Quick haven't been, you know, headliners in the league in recent years, but they were at one point. Um, and so it, it, I think there's curiosity there. Uh, you know, it sounds like Chris Dreiger from Florida is maybe probably going to be part of, of, of their goaltending tandem moving forward um, based on reports around the league. But that's fascinating. And, you know, you could take on, if you're Seattle, a Kakanen and put him as your backup or, you know, let him develop there and continue what he's doing uh, with the Wild. With Susie, I think he's also someone who'd be very appealing uh, with the way he started his career, just, you know, a, an effective uh, defenseman lower on your blue line. He has size. I think he can bring a little bit of that sandpaper element to his game. Um, and he has a very workable contract. You know, he's he's under contract um, with a cap hit, you know, less than three million, which, you know, if. If Seattle obviously is paying a lot of attention to where they're doling out their dollars, you know, as a kickoff of, for this franchise, uh, you know, to get somebody in that, you know, that price range who can play in your top six, um, that's probably worth a long look. So to me, those are two, two players that, you know, are probably getting a lot of, you know, you know, evaluation from, from Seattle and, I think either loss obviously creates another hole for the wild. If Kakanin's gone, you know, 
they'd have to go out and find a new backup for next season. And if Susie's gone, it's, it's another subtraction from a blue line that just, you know, moved on from Ryan Suter. Mm -hmm. So that's been more in flux. So it's, you know, it's going to be a lot of, you know, read and reaction from the wild and could obviously add another item to the shopping list for free agency later this month. Absolutely. And the regular draft is this weekend that obviously a lot of those players don't contribute for a while. Um, really enjoyed your story in today's paper about the, you know, the, the prospect coming up likely first round pick and anything else coming up that you want to promote before we get out of here draft wise or otherwise. Yeah, you're right. So expansion is Wednesday night and then the entry level draft kicks off Friday and um, continues Saturday. The first round Friday is going to be intriguing. I think the wild has two first round picks which I believe has happened only one other time in its franchise history that it ended up drafting two players in the first round. That could change. A trade could happen. You know, we'll, we'll see, obviously, if they actually hold on and make those picks. Um, you know, right now they're at 22 and 26, but they're technically 21 and 25 because the 11th overall pick has been vacated right. by Arizona. Um, so, yeah, I think that's going to be be interesting. You know, you look back last draft and, you know, the team obviously acquired quite a few centers to kind of bolster that position. You know, I think obviously talent trumps need and the best player available is usually the philosophy, but it'll still be interesting to see if there are any trends that maybe emerge in the players that they draft um, in terms of, you know, maybe solidifying uh, a goalie down the road if Kakanen is no longer available or do they try to, you know, add a few more defensemen. It, you know, I, I think obviously, like I said, it's it's usually best player available regardless of position. But um, those trends usually start to kind of emerge. You know, by day two, you can kind of see okay, there's you know a lot of a lot more X position in the pipeline now. So I, I think that'll that'll be interesting to watch, especially having that that second first round pick from Pittsburgh from the Jason Zucker trade. Um, it gives them probably a little bit more, you know, flexibility to see what's out there and see if there's maybe a deal to be made. So that'll be something to watch for sure. Well, looking forward to that for sure. Follow Sarah's coverage, Star Tribune, startribune.com. Sarah McClellan, thanks so much for joining me here again today. And I'm sure we'll catch up. I don't know what could be newsier than Suter and Parisi getting bought out, but uh, you never know. It's a long off season. Sounds good. Take care. You too. Let's end with the cooler. Aaron Rodgers reportedly turned down a contract extension from the Packers that would have made him the highest paid quarterback and therefore the highest paid player in the NFL sometime this offseason. That's an Adam Schefter report. He turned it down. I'm not entirely sure why Schefter's speculating that it's, you know, this that makes it clear that it's not about the money. It would have added a couple of years to his deal, would have, you know, kept him in Green Bay for five seasons. Um, you know, which would have taken him well into his uh, his forty, you know, into his forties in Green Bay. He didn't want that. So where does that leave things? It's a good question. But training camp opens in uh, in a week. You guys, we're one week away from getting even more clarity on this situation, and uh, I'm looking forward to that very, very much. That'll do it for today. We'll be back tomorrow. Chris Hine is going to be on. Talk a little NBA, some Timberwolves. Got some Ben Simmons debate. Got some trade talk going because uh, Chris and I love to do that. Friday, I'll have Randy Johnson on the show talk Gopher football. It's media day on Thursday for the Gophers, so a lot of expectations there. Thanks for joining me here today. We'll catch you again tomorrow.